Live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island, it's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Here we go. Final hour of Cofield and Company before the uh, football weekend is here. It's already here. There were games last night. Uh, big night around the Mountain West Conference with uh, two games on tap. Adam Hill is hanging out at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. Amon's in the Finley Toyota Studios. Much to get to, much to get to with the frenzy. A lot more NFL picks on the way. Uh, did you have anything else to finish up on with uh, – this Staley is terrible, and Sean Payton should have been the guy. I think we all need to pump the brakes a little bit on Sean Payton and what he's done so far with the Broncos. Um, no, I mean, I, listen, I'm, like I said, I'm a Staley guy. I think the one thing uh, to say about it is if the Chargers do make the wrong decision and fire Staley at some point, uh, then you better get somebody better than Sean Payton. I mean, I, if it's Payton against Staley, I'll take Staley. But yeah. if it's Payton against random white dude who you know they're going to hire – uh, I'll probably take Peyton. Uh, by the way, for people who were like, hey, just give Kellen Moore a chance, Kellen Moore has been the main problem. His yeah. play calling stinks. He's overly conservative. And you know what? We're going to go back to what you said a lot last year. What did you say about Staley in year two versus year one? Uh, somebody got in his head and he stopped being himself. Yep. And I think it's, it's continuing. The lack of aggression is pathetic. You've got a gunslinger quarterback with lots of good weapons, and right now, well, tomorrow, they're going to be down Eckler. So now the Vikings have raced out to a, uh, I think they're a two-point favorite now after they were getting three Although I, uh, I with the Chargers on the road. I will point out, as far as that goes, like Staley was making some pretty good decisions last week, especially early in the game. I didn't get to watch um, much of it. It was going on during the same time as Raiders. I got to watch back a little bit, but... Uh, I know the you know the Chargers had a fourth and four in the uh, in the first half, and they went for it. They got it, and didn't hear anybody saying it was the wrong decision. Steve, crazy. Of course not. Of, of course not. Uh, because uh, people but, are but running, so simple minded. Of course. Uh, also, went, yeah. Also went and got a two point conversion at a time when he was when he should have gotten a two point conversion. So um, some good some good work out of him last week, at least early on. I like I said, didn't see the end of the game, but uh, at least he's making some proper decisions. So on the road, you've talked about this before, Adam. Your TV viewing habits on the road are much different than when you're in Vegas, right? They are, but I will say with a caveat, like now that you can get access to you know a lot of the apps on smart TVs and hotel rooms on the road, right, changing right. a little bit. But, yeah, I'd be stuck watching okay. like regular TV, and I'd watch things like you know live with uh, not, no more you know Michael and Kelly or whoever random person was hosting that show right. because you'd have like four options of things to watch or you'd watch the view I would watch a lot of the view yes so we talk a lot about first take and Stephen A you know got a cross promote uh, we're at the behest of ESPN national which we're not uh, we're not owned by ESPN it's just a partnership but um, I, I talk about Stephen A. Smith in that show because I think there's a lot of quotable stuff and stuff that we can argue about coming off the show. Um, but I actually don't watch the show. I just get it in bits and pieces. I watched today, and, God, it was annoying. Because Stephen A. last night was out at Yankee Stadium. He botched a first pitch. Um, he came up short. He threw it 
kind of down the middle, but he bounced it about eight feet before the plate. And my God, that became the whole show today, like hours upon hours. And there was a moment where, oh no, actually when they weren't talking football, they were talking about the Diggs injury with the Cowboys. And Bart Scott was on today and Ryan Clark was on today. They were the experts with Stephen A there. And Bart Scott said something and I really didn't even know what he was saying. And a bunch of cowboy people who have become incredibly soft, um, I think are overreacting to this. But, Damon, can you play this and let's get a, a listen or two to this and see if we can figure out exactly what Bart Scott was saying about digs. Pressure, or now you got to swipe linebackers out to take away short routes. This is a major, major blow for Dallas. And like Stephen A. always says, just wait. Something bad always happens. No, don't start that. Don't start Let that. Let me tell you. No, 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 no. First of all, I, I, I wouldn't do that right now in all seriousness, RC. Yeah. This is a season-ending injury, so I'm certainly yeah. not going to joke about that. With okay. Damon, you listened to it a couple times. You pulled the audio. What exactly was Bart Scott saying? I, that's a famous phrase of Stephen A. when it comes to him being a Cowboy hater. Well, just wait, something bad's going to happen. So Bart Scott okay. was just using Stephen A.'s line. But I think Ryan Clark right. is now a little gun-shy after he had Tuanon on his back <laughs> after he tried to come at Tua for being fat. So now he's a little, hey, don't make fun of any player. Wait, for being fat or being thick? <laughs> what? What was what, what, what did he say? He said that Tua looked like he looked – he said the Tua was looking like an Instagram model. He said Tua was look, looking like he could be a stripper. Yeah. <laughs> he said Tua was looking real thick below the waist. And Tua Nan did not like that. Ryan Clark went back and apologized because Tua don't play that. So now now I'm seeing tweets like, I. this is funny. Because Cowboy fans become so soft. Yeah, it sucks that Diggs got hurt. Guess what? Guess, guess what other fan base and people around the fan base – said when Aaron Rodgers went down. Something always happens. Yeah. It's not laughing at the injury. It's like, hey, this team is saddled with bad luck or mismanagement. And then it became just shots at Bart Scott, which then, then people were like, oh, everyone that ESPN fired, they kept this guy? Clown. <laughs> Cowboy fans are so weak. How soft are you? Well, everyone's weak. <laughs> just ever. Every fan base, all it's just it, it's a never-ending uh, cycle of anger. You know what I tell you? I I, I tell you who wasn't weak this week, and I, I actually kind of admired them because they have standards, but they can also they know what they're watching, and those are Steeler fans. They won the game last week, and Mike Tomlin basically had to come in and, and apologize. That's a good fan base. That's one that freaking has a hard shell. The Cowboy fans on Diggs, like, so we can't say anything about Diggs. That might be inflammatory for the next couple of days. Well, you know, hashtag too soon. Lighten up. Shouldn't Cowboys fans be more mad that Jerry Jones basically said, "Who cares?" He like, did. I, that was, I know that, that quote was that quote was ridiculous. He basically was like, "Hey, Diggs isn't that good, and we're kind of tired of his uh, River Road Gambler style." Yeah, that's Diggs, insulting. Diggs makes a lot of great plays, but he also gets burned a lot. Maybe some of these other guys will be a little bit more, uh, you know, cautious in how they approach the game and don't get burned. Yep, that was far more. Far more, I think, inflammatory. Believe me, what Jerry Jones does and says is a lot more debilitating to your, to your franchise yeah. than Bart Scott uttering a phrase and, and you know it being misconstrued. I mean, yes, he's actually making the decisions that are going to impact your team for now. 
and saying that Diggs just isn't that valuable. Yeah. I will have a more responsible guy in there who won't take chances. All right. I was so rooting for ridiculous. them to, like, oh, they're the best team in the league. I want them to lose every game going forward now. I didn't hear that comment until just now. Wow. It's so absurd. All right, Josh McDaniels uh, spoke. Adam, please don't respond with nothing. Uh, what did he say about the home opener? He's Look at him. excited. <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah. I mean, he tried. He actually tried to get a little bit, I don't know, juiced up for the fact that they're playing uh, at home and uh, against the Steelers, a rivalry game. Uh, he said you can tell 100% that there's a little bit of juice in the building. It's a rivalry game for us and for them, a historic matchup. It's not a division game, but it matters a significant amount. We're excited to compete, play in that time slot when you're playing there. You know the only you know that you're the only one on, and a lot of people are watching you. So I think our players are excited, our coaches are excited, I know our fans are going to be excited. Sunday night should be electric. I think he meant Lil Wayne. Did you guys Why ask are you him? Excited? Oh, I'm so excited. Did you guys ask him what Little Wayne song he would want to hear performed? Uh, no, nah, I didn't want to put him on the spot like that on camera. I did ask many players, uh, but no, I did. I thought that wasn't wasn't something Josh McDaniels would be totally into. What a shame! I kind of want to play the clip just to see if he has some excitement in his voice, but I know he didn't. He didn't. Uh, I'll also, I'll, I'll if he if they win, I'll ask him which song he liked the best at halftime. If there's a halftime comeback, we know who to give credit to. Of course. No no question. I mean, it almost is better if they're losing, right, so we can have that chance. Come out, Amelia, Amelia, Amelia. Oh, man. That, that, that'll, that'll do it. Well, it'll, be, it'll go very badly if they get blown out because then there'll be, you know, how much they lose by Amelia, Amelia. Oh. <laughs> like, that wouldn't be good. It's not going to go well. But the Steelers' offense is so bad. I, I, believe, I believe in the Raiders. And it's not just because of the bet I've got with Steve. Wait, which one is that? $40 worth of uh, 7-Eleven pizzas. The, the Raiders have to, I thought that was a Colorado bet. No. This is just for this game. Oh, okay. We haven't, we haven't really decided on the over-under seven wins for Colorado what the, uh, the price is. Now, um, for Raiders-Steelers, I took the Steelers. So, if the Steelers win, I get a bunch of taquitos from uh, 7-Eleven. And uh, just like our old buddy Court... Um, Damon likes 7-Eleven pizza, so I told him I would get him the take and bake kind, and I'd get him five pizzas. I mean, it's it's a lot on the line. It is a lot on the line. You don't have that's to eat them pri- one Very day, hefty right? price. That's like a whole week of meals? Yes. Sure. Yes. Nice. It's pretty exciting. He knows all the specials, too. He, he, he was throwing them in the other day about all the different specials on the wings. Can well, I guys tell you a quick story from last night? I'll also say before you do that, it also depends which one you go to because – I will tell you, not all 7-Elevens are created equal. Uh, we, we went through this the other day about convenience stores, yes. I went, to the 7-Eleven. Right. I went to the 7-Eleven across the street from UNLV last night. You know, was playing basketball with some buddies. We all went to go get Slurpees. And I say, hey, they got some wings in here. I'm going to grab some of the wings, five for five. Okay, wait. You're, are you talking about the one that's next to Virgin? No, no, no. The one that's, like, across the street where they got the crumble cookie. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry, so, that's a better one. Yes, so I go to that 7-Eleven, and I put the wings on the counter. It was one where you grab it yourself, and I put my Slurpee on the counter, and it says, our rewards are offline. And I kind of say to the guy, 
well, if I can't use my rewards to get these five, get the five for five deal, I kind of don't want the wings. And, but he's already ringing it up, and I didn't want to look broke and say, you can take them back then. So I ended up paying the full $8 for the wings instead of the five. Should I have told him, you can put them back? Yes. Yep. That's a bad 100%. beat. 100%. That's, that's a real yeah. bad beat. I didn't want to look broke. He'd already rung them up, but, you know, minus the wings, I would have just paid the Cancel $2 them. for my Slurpee. Yeah, you're right. You're a loyal customer. Those points matter. They do. I punch it in every time. Yeah, well, what do you uh, mean I gotta rewards the, I got to get the SO on that because she doesn't, she doesn't uh, tell her. I'm like, punch in the freaking number. Come on. N- NBA DeMond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> couldn't, can't, can't have the streets out here saying DeMond broke. He couldn't afford 7-Eleven wings. That's tough, man. <laughs> That's a tough rep to hold up. Adam, before we break down the Steelers, how do you think Josh McDaniels is doing in terms of having his full concentration on this team? Because he's intermittently had to deal with Chandler Jones, which is a very complicated situation. And I get the sense that after losing to the Bills, that some of the players weren't happy at all about the weird stay over in West Virginia. Um, I can tell you right now. They were I, feel like, I feel like Josh is dealing with a lot from his team. Yeah, and there was also uh, there was the weird, not weird. Um, Josh Jacobs is really really good. Uh, I think in interviews, I think he he really kind of pours out his real feelings, his emotions. Like I love talking to him. I try to talk to him as much as I can, just because you know he'll say what's going on and he'll kind of be honest about it. And he said there is a chemistry issue in the run game. No, didn't really specify what that means, but I will say that. It was it was asked of Josh McDaniels today, and he shot that down very quickly. Um, and he, it was clear that he knew the quote from Jacobs, and was you know very 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 much wanting to address that. And I don't think I don't think Jacobs meant there was. I think he was just using the word chemistry as like we've got to figure it out. And you know I don't think he was saying there's discord or people don't like each other or anything like that. I think it was more just they've got to find the right mix to be able to run the ball better. But pretty clearly, Josh McDaniels was aware of that and, um, you know, addressed it today. I'm trying to find the exact quote as, uh, as we're talking here. Um, but he said, there's no issues. We're just working to create all of the things that go into being productive in that area. Running the ball is similar to pass protection and how the quarterback manipulates the pocket inside. There's times when the quarterback has to move to help the lineman out, and it's the same in the run game. Uh, said, you know, Greg Manroten is new. Uh, to Josh in terms of the whole thing. They're trying to figure each other out. It's not chemistry issues. It's just creating those kinds of repetitions and habits through practice over and over again so that we can be productive when we use them in the game. Uh, so, I mean, he kind of really went right right after that comment and, um, you know, kind of dispelled that. But I, I don't think he necessarily had to because I think Josh Jacobs it didn't mean that people don't like each other or anything like that. He was just kind of making the point of they've got to figure it out and figure out how to all work together and, and get it all going. Uh, but pretty clearly, McDaniel's knew that he was aware of it and kind of addressed it. It's a mess right now. Yeah. All right, Steelers offense. Uh, even worse. Why? Can't block. Uh, Kenny Pickett stinks, as most people that were watching kind of knew uh, last year. Uh, obviously, they don't have Deontay Johnson right now, which is, you know, that's that's a problem. But um, P- 
Pickens is a really good playmaker. They've got to find ways to get him the ball even more than they did last week when he had a bunch of success. Uh, they couldn't maintain drives. If you look at, you know, I, I, I know the, the graphic was or the graph was circulating of EPA, EPA per play uh, in the run game and the pass game. And all the teams were pretty much bunched up. You can see the teams are good, teams that were struggling in different areas. And then they had to extend the graph and make it bigger because the the Steelers are so far and away the worst in both, both running and passing. They had to make the graph bigger just to fit them on the chart of how bad they were. It's been a disaster for, you know, not a single play run in the red zone last week. Couldn't maintain drives. Uh, 0.8 uh, points per drive. It's just, it's a it's a disaster. Every metric will tell you they are the worst offense in the league. And so we'll see what they're able to do this week. I would say if they can't get it going, same thing with the Raiders' run game. If the Raiders can't get the run game going against the Steelers, who have struggled against the run, that's a big problem. And if the Steelers can't get their offense going against the Raiders, that's a big problem. Like, they should be able to move the ball. But if they can't, there's going to be real alarm bells, and I, I would imagine – Man, Canada's been there for a long time. You mentioned how mad the fans are. If they can't move the ball this week, I think it's probably over. So for for the Steelers, it's more about the coaching than the personnel? No, Pickett's things too, but, I mean, they, they put him in place. <laughs> like, he's bad. He was bad last year. I, I still, you know, they they salvaged that game against the Raiders uh, late in the season um, on a, you know, last-minute last minute touchdown after not doing anything the entire game but he's not good and he had a couple of decent runs uh you know making some plays with his legs but he really just can't throw the ball that's why it's always a uh well adam warns people all the time don't judge a quarterback off of one season because when the league gets a chance to game plan against them the second year um May not be as consistent, and Pickett had a couple of moments last year, but you know, a bunch of folks in the offseason you know, off saying the Steelers are set a quarterback for the future. Uh, not so fast, my friend. But even, even last year, the moments that he had were runs. Like, he didn't have many moments with his arm. Right. He was a guy that made some plays with his legs. It, it's, a, it's a concern. I think it should be a concern for the Steelers, and – Look, you have a quarterback of limitations that has some athletic ability. Figure out how to use that. They haven't. 364 Let's do a giveaway right now. We've got a pair of tickets to a December 2nd show at McUltra Arena. It's Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler. Two tickets right now. You can get your tickets at AXS.com. But December 2nd, a Saturday night at the MUA. Mick Ultra Arena AXS.com is where you can get your tickets, but DeMond's going to hook you up right now with a pair of tickets to go see Adam Sandler. Call her 7364-1100. Now back to Cofield and Company, live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. Sunday Night Football on the way here in Vegas, and both teams fired up after uh, having interesting starts to the beginning of the season. Not pathetic, just interesting, and Mark Bergen, believe in Steelers podcast. He does it with Ike Taylor is up with Cofield and Company. Steve Cofield, Adam Hill. How are you, sir? What's going on, Mark? Fellas, how are you? We're good. We're good. Um, Raiders fans are in a certain kind of mood, and it might be kind of similar to Steelers fans. So um, how are you guys feeling? I'm not saying you're a fan, but how are you guys feeling right now about the Steelers? Because there seem to be a lot of 
angst and anger and frustration coming out of a win. Yeah, you're being really polite, and a lot of it stems from the struggles of the offense, and I've never heard calls for a coordinator to be fired more than what Steelers fans right, want right now with Matt Canada. And part of the reason being that in the opener against the 49ers, one of the NFL's best, you only score seven points. And then in the Monday night game, a win, you see you know, 26 points on the scoreboard, but really it's only 12 put up by the offense because you had two defensive touchdowns thanks to the coics of Alex Highsmith. So, Going into this one, it's like, can you keep it rolling? And hopefully you can try to get your offense right against defense that's not quite a scout is the first two weeks of the season. But that's why they play them, and we'll see what happens when the two teams line up on Sunday night. What's your biggest critique of Canada? And it's not just this year. I'm, I'm assuming it goes back to last year, too. Oh, yeah, really since the 2021 season. My biggest critique would be play calling in strategy to where – Fans are picking up tendencies that he's had, and we are people simply watching the game on our TVs like all of America. So if we can pick up on the fact that, like, okay, say the Steelers are in a shotgun and there's a high, high correlation, like more than 85% chance that they're going to throw the football. When Kenny Pickett lines up under center, there's like a 90% correlation that they're going to run the football. When they run a jet sweep motion, the moment that the man going in motion goes by the center and isn't getting the ball, the ball's not going to that player retrospectively once the ball snaps. If we're picking up on these things as fans, what do you think opposing teams, coaches, and defensive coordinators and scouts are picking up about this offense? If that is evident to us watching on TV, I can't even imagine what it's like as an opposing player against the Steelers' offense, at least through the first two weeks of the season. You hope some of those things are corrected, but when Kenny Pickett's struggling and they haven't been able to run the football, the offensive line hasn't been great, and you have the lowest play action percentage of any team in the league, you really start to question, okay, what's going on? How can your coordinator put a young quarterback in a position to succeed? That hasn't happened through the first two weeks. I guess one of one of the other issues is all this you know vitriol that's been aimed at Canada, and I think rightfully so. Watching uh, some of the same things that you're pointing out uh, is pretty evident to anybody watching, especially studying getting ready for this game against the Raiders. But it's also could be hiding the fact that Kenny Pickett might not be very good, and they could change coordinators and just realize he's not good. This having him around is delaying finding out if the quarterback can play. Yeah, I think there's listen. There's a lot of young quarterbacks in this league where maybe 50% of them pan out, and that's being polite. But the Steelers had to do something post Ben Roethlisberger, and I still maintain that that was the best option available to where if Kenny Pickett's worth his salt this year or next, he'll prove that and quickly outperform what he's making on a rookie deal, even as a first-round pick. So, listen, you might be able to say that, and that may as well be true. But point me to a better option to where you could say this would definitively be better than the situation that the Steelers have right now with Kenny Pickett. A lot of Steelers fans were spoiled during the preseason where it looked like this offense was finally getting right and the sum was starting to equal its parts in terms of the, the talent that you have on the offense because during the preseason, Steelers and Kenny Pickett, five drives, five touchdowns, and it was like, okay, can we carry this momentum into the regular season? Well, the preseason is a lot like a war reenactment. Looks like the real thing. 
feels like the real thing. It's not the real thing. Uh, is the problem with the run game Najee Harris or the offensive line? It's a bit of both. Uh, I really think the offensive line has struggled. You're going up against the 49ers defense that I'd argue is the best in the league, but I think it's safe to say top three. And then in week two, like while you neutralize Miles Garrett, the Steelers couldn't get the edge in that game. And there's no slogan, you lose, contain, you lose the game. But like trying to run between the tackles, try to get the edge. Uh, Matt Canada loves his jet sweeps, but like time and time and time again, the Steelers couldn't do that. And you simply can look at the box score and say, okay, 21 rushes, 55 yards. That's not a recipe for success. And the opener against the 49ers, the 49ers had the ball for almost 38 minutes in that game. So if you're talking about your defense having to be out on the field, almost a two-to-one discrepancy in terms of time of possession, I understand that that doesn't tell the story to every single game. But those things are not recipes for success. Najee has to realize he's not a scat back. He's not going to take one to the distance, but he needs to be a chain mover. He needs to be able to get three, four, five, six, seven, eight yards and consistently move the chains. Uh, at the same time, though, this, this running game hasn't been able to get going because when you face deficits early in the game, the clock has been your enemy just as much as the scoreboard is, too. One thing I think is very, very telling, and I credit Alex Cazorra with Steelers Depot for pointing this out. Through two weeks this season, the Steelers, of every single run play they've had, they have not had a guard pull on a run play a single time. That to me is very, very telling, and it goes back to what is it that is your bread and butter? What is the makeup of what your offensive identity is? When that candidate is calling a third-and-one key conversion against the Browns late in the Monday night game, and they call a quarterback read option, Kenny Pickett's not Lamar. He's not uh, Anthony Richardson. He's not Justin Fields. He's not a mobile quarterback. To where that's not his skill set. So why are you calling that play? Call plays relative to the talent that you have on the offensive side of the ball. I'd like to see the Steelers utilize more two tight end sets. I'd like to see them continue to target George Pickens. I like that he got 10 targets in the Monday night game. But only four catches, that efficiency needs to be improved upon. Pat Fryermuth, who can win one-on-ones in the passing game and has demonstrated the ability to win combat catches, why he only gets one target in the Monday night game, it's just head-scratching for me. Mark Bergen, good stuff. Believe in Steelers podcast. You can check out everything you want to know about the Steelers, especially getting ready for the Raiders this week. Uh, I actually have not been very surprised by the offensive struggles for the Steelers, uh, but they can't stop the run. I mean, that's obviously going against two teams that can run the ball really well, but is there an issue with the run defense, or is this just bad matchup so far? I, I kind of chalked that up to matchups because Christian McCaffrey and then before Nick Chubb got hurt, and I'm of the opinion had Chubb not gotten hurt, I think the Browns would have won on Monday night, but this is why in the offseason you bring in and totally revamp your linebacker group. So gone are Devin Bush and gone are Miles Jack, and you bring in Cole Holcomb, the Landon Roberts, and Quan Alexander's gotten into the mix too. Don't forget to Cam Hayward being injured too with the brain injury. He had surgery. He's one of the best interior linemen in all of football. Steelers fans love him. I don't think he gets nearly the notoriety that he deserves across the NFL. So you fill those voids, and then, oh, by the way, 
Brian Flores, who was your linebackers coach a year ago and who helped really solidify that front seven, he's now the defense coordinator over in Minnesota. So it was crazy because, like, two years ago, the Steelers led the NFL in sacks but were dead last in the league in rushing yards allowed. I don't recall that dichotomy of any team in NFL history. I don't know if that's ever happened before. That was in the 2021 season. But that's kind of been the bend that don't break defense of you can get to the Steelers a bit on the interior, but that duo they have off the edge with T.J. Watt and Alex Ty Smith is as good as any in the league, and they cause matchup problems. Like T.J. Watt, regardless of what right tackle he lines up against, it really doesn't seem to matter, and if you want to double and triple team him, he'll still find a way to make plays. So, yeah, running the ball, like, if you can do that and keep the defense out on the field, the offense hasn't been able to do much, and it's like, okay, another third, and a third, third three and out consistently, and you can win the battle of, hey, our offense can serve as a defense and just stay out on the field because the Steelers' offense hasn't been able to play complementary football. I want to take it back to the Steelers' defense, but focus on their secondary. First, what's the status of Mika Fitzpatrick? Because on that Nick Chubb hit, he was also shaken up a little bit. And the cornerback situation. I know they have Patrick Peterson, and he got lit up in week one. But how steady are, is the cornerback group for the Steelers as well? So Peterson told media members this week that he's going to play. And I don't think he's a dirty player. I mean, it's a consensus when, like, Grant Delpit, the safety for the Browns, is saying he didn't think it was a dirty play either. I think you can, you know, destroy that narrative right then and there. And we wish Nick Chubb back on the field. I mean, when the Steelers fans at Akersher Stadium in Pittsburgh are chanting his name and he's carted off the field, it's the reality of if you go high in the league, you're called for targeting and you're worried about concussions. And if you go low, something like a, a ACL tear, multiple ligaments in the knee can happen. So Fitzpatrick, who had a chest injury in that game, he'll play Sunday night. And then um, what was your second question? I'm sorry. Uh, just just about the cornerback unit in general. Yes, yes. So Peterson in week one said on his podcast that he was going to intercept Brock Purdy and that we'd talk about it after the fact. So that didn't happen. Then Levi Wallace. Uh, he's had a rough two weeks. I'm just going to be honest with you. I thought Amari Cooper got a, a better end of that matchup there. And then when Jerome Ford, the Browns running back, stepped in for Chubb, get a, a play where he reverses field and gets a 68-69 yard run with sets up a touchdown. You know, that play is not possible if you don't have sound gap discipline. And when Levi Walsh drops on another play, what would have been a sure interception, the Browns didn't take advantage. These are things that, against better teams, they take advantage of your mistakes. So the secondary play, I think you're going to see more and more of Joey Porter Jr. I think sooner rather than later, we see Broderick Jones along the offensive line to where you don't want to do too fast too soon with rookies. You don't want to put them right from the frying pan right into the fire. But those are positions of need for the Steelers. There's a reason why they drafted Jones in the first round and Joey Porter Jr. in the second round. I think especially with Porter Jr., going to see more and more snaps as, as they get more and more comfortable. You know, with Jones, you talk about Max Crosby off the edge. When I saw the Steelers schedule, it was like close to week one, Miles Garrett week two, Crosby week three, three players off the edge that are absolute game records. So if Dan Moore Jr. was going to be the starter right from the jump, that was okay with me. 
But, uh, yeah, I think you're going to see more, more of Joey Porter Jr. And Patrick Peterson, look, he's been an all-pro player in this league, but it's no secret he's in the last few years of his career. And if he can share that wisdom and knowledge on down to a player like Joey Porter Jr., uh, how special that'll be. And it was Joey Porter Jr. in coverage in the Monday night game where they targeted him and he forces an incomplete and gets off the field. What that can do for the confidence of a young player and a rookie uh, I'm excited to see him on the field more and more. We know what his dad did for years in Pittsburgh. So that lineage, that family connection to the Steelers organization is pretty cool to see. Mark Bergen is up on Cofield and Company here on ESPN Las Vegas. He's the host of Believe in Steelers podcast. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Mark Bergen underscore, and you can find Believe at Believe Network. Let's close on this. Um, what's your opinion of the, uh, the uh, Raiders? Uh, what are you seeing so far with the Raiders, and can the Steelers get by him? Yeah, I mean, it's Jimmy G's show now, so it's going to be a quarterback battle. But, like, fellas, I'll be honest with both of you. Like, are we sure? Like, if Devontae Adams wants to sit out in this one on Sunday night, I'd be okay with that. What say you? <laughs> I think he's playing. I think he's playing. Yeah, I think he's going to play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm a, I'm a bit nervous about that because if you can get in the ball in space, he's as good as any receiver in the league. Those are really the matchups, like, the week two and week three matchups to me are very similar from the Steelers' standpoint, right? So in week two against the Browns, you had to stop Chubb, Amari Cooper, Miles Garrett. It's the same position groups against the Raiders. So it's Josh Jacobs in the backfield, Adams at the receiver position, Max Crosby on the defensive end. I mean, that's a very oversimplification. It's going to come down to the quarterbacks, which ones can protect the ball, make plays here and there. I mean, it's really not rocket science. For me, it's going to be like, I don't think the Steelers' offense could be much worse than it's been, but it's been really, really bad. I mean, like, I could point to 19, 19.6 yards per drive worse than the NFL, eight offensive points per game worse than the NFL, 0.4 points per, per minute of possession also worse than the NFL. Like, can it get any worse? And the Steelers don't typically make firings to coaching staff midway through the year. But, like, how dire would it need to be to say, hey, we've got to make a change with Matt Canada and company? And, and look, people want to point to the matchups. But, again, I go back to what I said off the top, is when the tendencies are extremely predictable and we're picking this up, watching the game on TV like the rest of America, what is an opposing defensive coordinator that has an entire week to scout the team? These defensive players are going to know what's coming in advance, and there's got to be more creativity with this offense hmm. because you do have some talent at, at the field position players if you're the Steelers. Mark, great job. We appreciate it. Love to uh, talk to you down the road. Very good spot. Thank you. Bella, thanks for having me, and enjoy the game Sunday night. There he is. Mark Bergen checking in late uh, East Coast time, so we appreciate that. And he does the Believe in Steelers podcast with a former NFL player, Ike. Taylor. Uh, this part of the show is brought to you by the Westgate, the Superbook. Danny Smythe is going to be at the Westgate on Sunday morning for the Sunday football preview show that goes live on ESPN Las Vegas at 8 a.m. He's got prizes, and then, of course, it's a great place to watch the games in the book and even better, in the International Theater, 1,500 seats. It's a smoke-free environment. There's betting windows all over the place. Uh, even better, sign up for the mobile account, then you don't have to stand in any lines. But go check it out this Sunday or really any time, but Sunday viewing is awesome at the Superbook, and Danny Smythe will be live on air with the Sunday football preview show coming up on Sunday at 8 a.m. live at the Westgate. 
Hang in at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company. You heard it. Make sure you listen over the weekend to the Sunday football preview show, 8 a.m. on Sunday. Uh, I'll be back on at 5 o'clock on Saturday with the Ted Weens UNLV football pregame show. Again, 5 o'clock, and we'll have a bunch of guests on the show from UNLV football. Also, some opposing team interviews. As uh, We'll have another expert on tomorrow. And the play-by-play guy, Mark Teicher, is with us. But uh, one of the conversations we'll play tomorrow is uh, one that I had with Nate Longshore. And Nate's a very interesting story because – He's a UNLV tight ends coach, but he also played quarterback when he was at Cal. He's a massive human being, so imagining him playing quarterback is pretty crazy because he's 6'6 and probably about 250 pounds now. So he gives a unique perspective on what's going on with Rebel football out to a 2-1 a and one start. And we started off the conversation talking about the UTEP defense and what he thought of the Miners unit. They've got guys with a lot of experience, a lot of game experience on their side of the ball, and, and they're, uh, they're comfortable doing – doing and executing their scheme. So I, I see them as a group that's going to continue to get better as well. I think uh, across the board, they've got plenty of talent, and I think they play hard. So I expect, uh, I expect a really good shot from their D. A lot of JUCOs, too. So I wouldn't always judge you know, the first four games of a defense when you're mixing in a lot of JUCOs. Can you, can you talk about that you know, in watching the Rebels over the years? And, and it's difficult for JUCOs that first year coming in to kind of step up to the level speed-wise and, and blend in with all the schemes. Yeah, I think those the junior college guys they, and, and transfers in general, they have they do have a lot of game reps under their belt. That experience counts for something. Um, but at the same time, being together, and again, the same thing we're dealing with on offense, is that cohesion and that chemistry of, of being on the field and executing our roles together, not just individual. Yeah, you know, I, I watch practice, and I can only imagine all the scouting that goes into practice. And I was thinking of one maybe small factor. You guys do recruit Texas pretty heavily. Uh, I know you're mostly California, right? Yes. And and Damon's been down in Texas. You've yeah. had other guys in the past and the present staff who were in Texas. How many of these guys are you familiar with going back years from their high school days, then to JUCO, then to UTEP? Quite a few. Yeah. We've had quite a few That's here on official visits, and we've had uh, quite a few guys that we've we've recruited, and and we're familiar. I'm sure they are, uh, you know, with our guys as well. So there's there's definitely some familiarity there. Nate Longshore is with us. One important question, we're talking to a former quarterback at Cal, tight ends coach, you know, also talking offensive line. We haven't really talked to coaches beyond James Shebest about special teams, but you guys are all part of this. I, I watched during practice, and you're going through uh, special teams at least three times to practice, and I saw you today. Your tight ends are a vital part of uh, some of the return teams. How many, how many different units do they play on, and who's playing the most on you know, these units for you guys, for the tight ends? Well, they're not on enough. I wish they were on them all. Yeah. Um, but uh, the ones that they're on – they're critical. I mean, every spot out there, each one of those spots is extremely critical. When we're asked to do something out there, I mean, the, the team is depending on it. And those special teams yards have really helped us this year. And Coach Shebus is doing a great job uh, putting us in a spot to be successful offensively. Now, it's really interesting that you said you wish your guys were on more. That almost sounds counterintuitive. Like, hey, let my guys just stay off the special teams and stay healthy. So why do you want them out there? I just want them to be great football players. I think there's good cross-training from breaking down and tackling to breaking down and blocking a nickel. I think uh, all those skills of just being a good player, finishing the play, understanding both sides of the ball uh, can only help them in the long run. There you go. Nate Longshore, the tight ends coach for UNLV. 
taking on UTEP, now a small favorite of one and a half. And, Adam, I know you've been paying attention to the games and you've been to uh, at least one game. You know, they made a point, uh, when I say they, Barry Oda made a point when he was putting together his staff and talking about James Shebas that special teams were going to be really important. And so far by the numbers, they have been a top 10 squad nationally on special teams. Uh, Jacob De Jesus is a scary dude. Every time he touches the ball, there's a, you, know, you feel like something's going to happen. And I thought that was really interesting that Nate Longshore, the tight ends coach, is like, yeah, I want my guys playing special teams. Yeah. I mean, it keeps them involved. It keeps them part of the game and, and all those other things, too. Um, I, I know a lot of you know a lot of coaches take pride in seeing their their guys contribute in other areas. And it shows that they recruited the right players, too, uh, that they're you know willing to, to help out the team and are capable of doing multiple things. Uh I just think it, it adds a lot when guys that you coach at your position group are able to contribute all over the field. In the middle of the interview, I referenced Damon. That's Damon Magazoo, who is a defensive backs coach. Um, he's one of the primary guys who recruits Texas. So I was glad uh, Longshore kind of backed me up. You know, when you recruit so many players and you, all, you have so many offers out there, that there is going to be some crossover, uh, that you're going to be familiar with some of the players that you tried to get who wound up landing somewhere else and uh, they've mined texas pretty well UNLV has uh, going back to sanchez into arroyo and now with this staff and remember you know three of the better defenders on this team and marcel mcduffie who is expected to be back for this game uh one of the starting linebackers he missed last week's game with a death in the family uh, had to attend the funeral he's a texas guy cam oliver is a texas guy who by the way will be featured on another portion of the uh, pregame show tomorrow and uh Ricky Johnson, Texas guy. Jonathan Baldwin, Texas guy. So it's important to re- uh, recruit Texas well, California well, even Arizona, um, in addition to what's going on locally, which uh, is getting kind of interesting, Adam, because the 2024 class has, I think, now four local recruits. I think they're about to get a fifth soon. And now at the front of the line on the current roster is a local guy in Jaden Maiava. How do you think Maiava is going to react? to another team being able to prep for him a little bit more. We don't know exactly who's going to be out there, a quarterback with Brumfield or Maiava yet, but Barry Odo made a point of it that, hey, this is really important that we've got um, local guys on the UNLV roster. But what do you think happens if Maiava is the guy in terms of prep? Because sometimes it is easier when you come in and the other team's like, hey, okay, who the hell is this guy? Now they've got some film on him. Yeah, for sure. I think he's you know he's played in a couple of games and he's looked good. Uh, Edrum, I think it was it was big for them to be able to get him, get him into – uh, you know the game early in the season with the blowout and, and get some action, uh, and then he was able to play a little bit at Michigan too. So he's—it's not like he just came in once and played. Like he's—he's—he's he's, he's been uh, having some experience and, and playing, and it's looked pretty good each of those times he's been out on the field. And uh, I'd be a little bit more concerned with a team prepping if they were good. Like it's not a good yeah. team. So right, uh, well, it should—it should be—it should be a victory, but. Uh, again, we've talked over the years about UNOV dealing in these situations with prosperity. Oh, for sure. And look, it's 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 a prime letdown spot. There's no question about it. It's a you know a game on the road in a kind of a strange environment where there's not a whole lot of energy. Uh, you're coming off a win over an SEC team and a thrilling win, an exciting win. All those teams, like every element of a letdown, also not a conference game. Like every element of a possible letdown is in place. So they have to avoid it. Let's I go. Mean, let, I'm sorry, Adam. Let's go rapid fire here through the NFL with the remainder of the games that we did not cover. 
Uh, Jags seven and a half against the Texans. What do you want to do? Uh, Texans secondary is completely beat up. They've been pretty decent, but I think they're in a really tough spot where the Jaguars are trying to get healthy, and the Texans have injuries all over their secondary. I bet the Packers earlier in the week. I got a bad number. It's now one. I got two. It's Packers Saints. Yeah, I like the Packers too. Going home for the first time, uh, probably a very warm welcome uh, for their brand new starting quarterback, and I, I think it's uh, it's going to be a tough spot for the Saints to go on the road and. Look, their offense hasn't been great. They've won games, but uh, it's been a little bit of a struggle for their offense. So I, I think they're in a tough spot. Dolphins six and a half against the Broncos. Oof. Uh, definitely not <laughs> making an opinion on this because I don't know about the injury situation with the Dolphins. No Waddle would be massive, just massive for them. Yeah, uh, concussion problems there. Yeah. Uh, Bills, five and a half in this one. What do you think happens? Uh, big Sam Howell guy, you know that. Uh, I think yep. the commanders hang tough. I think the Bills win a close game. Lions three favorite against game. the Falcons. Favorite game of the week, Lions roll. Ooh. Uh, Cowboys now laying 13 at the Cards. Uh, I don't know what the Cardinals are trying to do anyway. Uh, yeah. They played okay. Uh, I, think it's, I think the Cowboys blow them out. What about Bears and Chiefs? It's now up to 13 Chiefs at home. Uh, 41-3. No. Yeah. Really? It's a complete disaster in Chicago. Oh, boy. Uh, thanks to the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. We're back there as a station tomorrow, 9 to 11 a.m. for college football and NFL preview with Magnum and Lindsay. We'll see you. Thanks, guys.